Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. So I'm really grateful to be here today on our Stand By My Servants podcast with a friend and colleague, Mary Jane Woodger. And Mary Jane is a professor of church history and doctrine here at BYU. She was born and raised in American Fork and in Salt Lake City, Utah. She has a great love for teaching. Mary Jane obtained her bachelor's degree in home economics education, and she taught home economics and American history in Salt Lake City. She completed her master of education degree at Utah State University and received from BYU a Doctor of Education degree in Educational Leadership with a minor in Church History and Doctrine. Since then, Dr. Woodger has written and published over 20 books, including three books about the life and teachings of David O. McKay. She has also authored numerous articles on doctrinal, historical, and educational subjects. These articles have appeared in various academic journals, as well as the Journal of Mormon History, the Journal of Mormon Historical Studies, The Ensign, and The Religious Educator. Dr. Woodger has received awards that include the Richard Lloyd Anderson Research Award, Best Article of the Year Award from the Utah Historical Society, and the Brigham Young University Faculty Women's Association Teaching Award, and the Harvey B. Black and Susan Easton Black Outstanding Publication Award, and the Alice Louise Reynolds Women in Scholarship Honor. Uh, Mary Jane teaches, uh, has taught many courses at BYU, but mainly... Mary Jane, you stick you stick right around that Living Prophets area. That's my favorite. For <laughs> That's sure. so awesome. Well, I love kind of watching you squirm as I read all those things about you because I know you, that makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what I like Mary Jane about you the best is you are just down to earth, and you love and care about people, and I and that. That makes you fun to be around. Well, I like that better than anything you just read. So thank <laughs> Perfect. You. you know, Mary Jane, one of my one of my favorite uh, things about you is, I think we both have an interest in George Albert Smith. Yes. And uh, I know that I've, I studied him a lot in my life. I just became attracted to learning about him because, no one was really ever saying much about him, and yet he was so kind and loving and Christ-like. And then I, come here to BYU, and you've written so much about him. What was the name yes. of that book that you... I love that book. Against All Odds. Yes, yes. Which is really the story of his life. I had to fight for that title, but... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I think there's a song <laughs> yeah. or something yeah. like that, right? <laughs> yeah. or a Phil Collins song or whatever, but you document in such a clear way George Albert Smith's struggles with anxiety and depression, which up until... I think you kind of broke through that ice a little bit, but up until then we were weren't really talking about challenges prophets have had. He he really suffered chronically from depression. Of course, they didn't call it that yeah. uh, during his era and, and didn't really know how to um, prescribe for it at all. And at the time I was working on that, uh, I was working on a biography on him and ran into uh, these struggles that he had. I was extremely concerned about writing about such a thing about a prophet of God. Right. But I felt I really needed to share that. Yeah. With, with um, Latter-day Saints who struggle with the same thing. And I was so relieved when, after um, the article in the book came out, that Elder Holland wrote me an email. Yeah. And um, 
I said, okay, I guess it was all right that I shared that. Yeah. Oh, and, and that was, uh, it was interesting. Like you said a minute ago, we were talking before we started recording, but just that here they are taking him to the beach and taking him to St. George, hoping, because they didn't even know what it was, right? No, Maybe. no. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said. Well, they basically so, said, you know, we'll just, we'll pray for you and put your own name on the prayer roll and you should be fine. But <laughs> there was, right. there was years when he couldn't even speak in conference because of it. Right. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we've come a long way with with mental health, that's for sure. So. Absolutely. Well, Mary Jane, our topic today is to talk about uh, some of the teachings of President Udorf. Obviously, in a podcast that is probably under an hour, we're not going to be able to cover everything President Udorf has ever said. I mean, that would take take weeks, but we'll hit some highlights. But one of the things that's, I think, really cool is you had the chance years ago, I'm thinking, to interview President Udorf and just talk to him and get to know him a little bit. So... I think it'd be really awesome for our listeners just to hear a little bit about that experience. Oh, I would love to share that. I interviewed him uh, right after he was called in November. Okay, uh, 2004. 2004. Yeah. And he had just been called. Wow. And uh, I was teaching at BYU, and what I did was I um, had my students in Teachings of Living Prophets write questions. I said to them, if you had the opportunity to interview the new apostle, what would you ask him? Oh, wow. And so I was... Um, using those questions to um, interview him at the time. Yeah. One of the first things um, my students wanted to know was, what is it like to be called as an apostle? Did you have Mm. any premonitions? Um, And it was so uh, interesting. He said, when we lost the two apostles, um, one word after another, he said, my wife and I were up um, walking the foothills above their house and they were talking about the great change that was going to come to two individuals that were going to be called in the corner <laughs> of the twelve, and, and uh, almost feeling sorry for those two yeah, people, right? Absolutely. And they said, and he said, so we went home, and that morning we got on our knees and were praying, you know, intensely for these new people that were going to be called into the quorum. Yeah. And he said, I had no idea we were praying for ourselves. <laughs> wow. So I, I loved that. Um, and I said, well, how, how do you feel? And he said, well, I'm in a, in a state of denial right now. <laughs> I'm sure. And it's just beyond overwhelming. But um, he, uh, as you look at his life, and I'm sure you, you have seen this, Mark, uh, he is so prepared Yeah. in such an amazing way. And uh, Elder Uchtdorf, of course, is the first in, of so many things. He's our first uh, apostle of foreign birth mm. in 50 years. But the one right before him was Marion G. Romney, who was born into the Mormon Mexican colonies. And I don't think that was much of a foreign experience. Right, right. You know, he's our first um, out of the Eastern Bloc. Um, just uh, he's he's kind of, uh, I think, a transitional apostle. Right. Uh, so unique. Yeah. Uniquely yeah. prepared. Um, a few other things that I ask him about that sure. my students are interested in, of course, is how do you choose a major? How do you choose a career? And um, he said, you know, in my case, I always loved flying. You know, we all know that. <laughs> he said, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a pilot. And uh, he said, when I first tried to become a pilot for Lufthansa, I know I'm not saying that correctly. I think so. you said it well. <laughs> well, I said it fast. <laughs> yes. He said there were no openings. Mm. And he said, everyone has to go to school. And so I was... Uh, forced into the technical track 
And he said, when I found there was no openings, um, I decided that I'd go into the Air Force. Yeah. And one thing that's interesting about Germany at the time is everyone had to serve in the Air Force, I should say all young men. Yeah. For six years. Oh, wow. For six years in their young adulthood, they served the military. Yeah. So he went into the Air Force, and he said things just kind of fell into place. And he said, for instance, I never intended to go into management. And he said, by the time I finished, I ended up being in charge of 15,000 people. Oh, wow. He said, I oversaw all the catering, all the reservations, and all the cabin people. Well, who's left? Yeah, who's left? You know, I think I think he was not the CEO. He was he was running. He was yeah, amazingly, and um, he said, you know, you need to tell your students that um, they just need to um, enjoy what they're doing and Mm. learn as much as possible. Yeah, and if they'll do that instead of worrying about making a lot of money or doing what their dad did or their sure. mission president, um, things will fall into place. The Lord will open windows for wow. you. Wow. Well, that's so yeah. great. Good counsel for those yeah. for those students. Yeah. The other thing that my students wanted to ask uh, me ask them, him about was his courtship and his marriage because that's the stage of life yeah. they're at. And um, I I loved what he had to say. And well. it gives all of us that are that have been turned down a little bit. Um, <laughs> he said, my wife and I grew up in the same branch. That's how and she and I met. But he said, for a long time, we were just friends. Yeah. She made it extremely clear, <laughs> we are just friends. And um, he told stories. He said, she didn't like me very much. And if we'd not just been friends, I would have overwhelmed her to begin with. Right. But she said, we are just friends. <laughs> she made it clear. And she, you know, she... <laughs> He, he talked about coming up, uh, saying to her, well, come over and I'll walk you to church. And she'd say, okay. And yeah. he'd get there and she had already left. And she had instructed her mother to tell him that he could walk her mother to church. Right. Hello. I mean, she, he hung in there. He hung in there. He was not taking the hints, yeah. was he? Yeah. And so um, he said, um, he said, we did that for years. And then he said, you know, she had all kinds of friends within the church. (laughs) And um, he also said, so many of our young people try to get ahead of their age. And he said, don't try and skip that important process of becoming friends. Mm. But then he said, when the time comes, you know, your students need to quit waiting around and having such long checklists about the young men or young women that they're dating. Mm. Um, Anyway, I loved loved that. and when you look at those pictures, Mark, I don't know if you've looked at the pictures of their courtship or when they were young. And, you know, she's clear over here and he'll, you know, she'll be sitting by somebody else and he'll just have a hand over her shoulder. Or, yeah. Um, they're just, they're just adorable. Yeah. Yeah. I think President Udorf's, um I don't remember the name and you may talk about that today a little bit, but his, his kind of uh, story that he gave at a young women's meeting years ago was pretty cool about how that all worked, but what I really think about is his his talk. Yes, the talk reflection in the water. I think is one of the greatest talks ever. If anyone's interested on courtship and marriage and how to prepare and and what to look for and uh, but anyway, you can Google it because that talk is hard to find. But President Udorf has been very clear on his counsel on marriage and family. Maybe it's because of what he's been. Yeah, through. yeah, absolutely. 
Well, he didn't give up, and yeah, uh, he, he persisted. And uh, the other thing that that, um, that I thought was so interesting, a couple of things. I, I, um, I said to him, "Are you going to have any theme? Hmm. You know, that's going to run through your talks?" And he said, "Well, um, you might find a theme because I am from a foreign experience, and English is my second language." Hmm. And he said, you know, I had to, I knew I had to learn English to become a pilot. Right. And he's trilingual. He speaks German, English, and, and uh, Russian. Yeah. He said, speaking Russian was a piece of cake. <laughs> he said, I didn't even think that the my mouth was shaped in the right form to speak English. Right. Oh, wow. And, you know, when we listen to him, you don't, you don't ever wonder what he's saying. He's, right. So he's articulate. amazing. Yeah. yeah. But he said, you know, I might approach things in a certain way, but I am just going to let the Spirit direct me and not have a conscious conscious uh, effort to establish a certain theme during my ministry. But then he did say this. It might be because of my professional life or background that others might pick up on something, but it won't be conscious on my part. <laughs> it won't and, be about flying or anything, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was kind of funny now that we oh, heard yeah. from him. From him for almost 20 years and oh yeah what his themes are because i think there are definitely some that come out that we'll talk about in the next hour but um sure yeah i think mary jane i i always show a clip to our students at byu it's the 1994 opening talk you know that he gave as a newly called 70 and and he's pretty you know who wouldn't be right but you know i don't want to say stiff but he's not moving much his 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 English is is a little bit harder to understand. Yeah, yeah. And then I showed them a clip of like two thousand nine and with his hand motions and his perfect pronunciation and it's just in, in his passion, you know. And yeah. it's pretty incredible how the Lord has taken him and just molded him into what he is. Yeah, you've got those ten years. He's called in nineteen ninety four. Yeah, and um, then he's a member of the quorum in. Uh, 2004 and those 10 years really uh, formed him and yeah and you see that development in a in an amazing way um i i think it's fun i one other thing i asked him i said you know i know your favorite book has got to be the book of mormon but is there anything else that you yeah have read recently that you that you've really enjoyed and he said i just love harry potter <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome yeah Maybe I could just, um, as I'm finishing talking about the interview, is um, just the general impression that I had. I would love to hear um, that. Yeah. You know, the twelve at the time. I don't know. I don't know if it's the same now, but they are not in the high rise. They are in the administration building off South Temple. Yeah. And so um, <clears throat> when I came in uh, to the building, he was at the top of a marble staircase. Mm. And I went in and uh, instead of having me sit in front of the desk, he had a wingback chair um, kind of the side of where he was sitting. So we were literally sitting knee to knee. Oh, wow. And I remember sitting there and thinking, now I should be nervous, but <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. I'm not nervous in the least. Oh, wow. And... um I thought, why am I not nervous? And the thought came to me, um, I just feel completely accepted yeah. by this man. I I could tell him anything. Yeah. I just felt such acceptance. And 
I felt like not only um, was he someone that that I felt like I had known, um, I felt like I was just sitting with someone I'd known my whole life. Right. Oh, he just made you feel so comfortable. Yeah. And and then the thought came to me. Um, I think this is what it would feel like sitting with Jesus Christ. Oh wow! It's just complete acceptance. Yeah. And um, how cool! I, I remember that feeling. But what's interesting is when I came out of his office after the interview was finished, I was coming down the stairs, and mid-flight, I'm using one of his terminologies. <laughs> um, a woman came up the stairs, and who was it but Harriet? Oh. She didn't know I'd been with her husband, or but she stopped me and talked to me and asked me who I was and what I'd been doing, and um, I had that same exact feeling come to me. Wow! In those few seconds that I spoke to her, that's so awesome. Yeah, and I that, love that more than anything he said, that feeling has has stayed with me. Yeah, from that experience. I think that's so cool. What a great. What a great highlight, and thank you for, for sharing that. I, I When you said that about Harriet, it just was a reminder to me that these are strong, powerful couples together oh, yeah. um, on the same page. And I always believed that they were just always great people long before the general church even knew who they were. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. You know, he said to me, he said, my plan was I was going to turn 70. I was going to be, you know emeritus from the quorum of the 70 and we were going home to germany yeah and we were going to travel a little bit and we're going to be with our kids and (laughs) and then he said i guess the lord had you know other plans and isn't it great i mean just what we think of you think of elder ballard you know who just passed away and at age 95 and just how many years of his life where he could have been retired he's just grinding it out every day and they're giving the lord all that they have so yeah amazing Mary Jane, what else about President Udorf's life would you say is would, would be helpful for, for anyone who's listening to understand and would help them to come to know him better? I, I think one of the most remarkable uh, parts of his life is his birth. Mm. We're just going through um, what's happening in Israel and the Gaza Strip. Right. And you say, here's uh, Dieter Uchtdorf, born in 1940 in Czechoslovakia. Right. What, what's going on? <laughs> right in the middle of World you know, War II, right? Well, right in the middle of Czechoslovakia. That's the p- first place Hitler goes. So he's born into a war zone. Right. And oh, wow. so as you look at that, and as he's, uh, those early impressionable years, he is, you know, a refugee twice. And you remember him talking about losing his mom in the train station and, and him talking about, um, you know, starving. Yeah. And and receiving, you know, peaches from, you know, Utah. And uh, and then amongst that setting, you have the Uchtdorf family join the church. And I love how he talks about his mother being in a bread line. Hmm. And this elderly woman, member of the church, instead of just, you know, standing in line, turns to Sister Uchtdorf and shares the gospel. Yeah. And this wonderful name, <laughs> you know, in German is Sister Eternal. Yeah. And then, you know, Elder Dar says they joined they all joined the church but me because I was six. Mm-hmm. And uh and uh you just look at his experiences um as a as a young person. You know, Mary Jane, and when I think of that, you know, when you think of the idea of, of just being refugees twice, which I don't know if people process that, but 
literally what that means is losing or leaving behind everything and starting yeah. over yeah. twice. And then to hear President Udorf talk about that what made the biggest difference in their life was the warmth and the love they felt from the church and that they felt they yeah. were home. And it just, it you know, re- regardless of how horrible the world was at that time and their experiences, they he said we had the gospel and that was what they needed. Amazing. Yeah. And you just, I, I just look at his entire life and you just see such preparation. Of course, he tells uh, him and his wife love to bike. Oh, yeah. But um, he tells of... Being, I don't know, I I think of him as a 12-year-old and wanting, you know, right. a stingray or whatever it was at the time. <laughs> and he has this old clunky bike that he delivers the laundry, his mother's, you know, right. washing. And and it's so clunky and so hard to ride. And and he just hates it, but he does it because he has to, you know. Right. And uh, then years later, he's he's in that Air Force, and they take an X-ray of his lungs, and he's got these black spots. And they tell me he had this disease growing up. But because he rode that clunky bicycle, you know, it cured it, basically. Wouldn't you love to know what that disease was? Because you're like, who in the world out there just has a disease and says, oh, I'm just going to power through this, so to yeah. speak, you know. But yeah. his determination is quite incredible. And I think with what you said, too, Mark, I like when we begin to talk about his talks, I like to call him the great uh, apostle of hope. Yeah. He is the most optimistic of any of the apostles, of anyone. And isn't that amazing from where he came from? From his background, exactly, from how he grew up. Wouldn't you be scarred from that for life? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, they tell you, you know, those... PTSD, right? Yeah, for sure, but not him. Right. So that's that's so amazing to me. Yeah, you Uh, put he and Elder Holland in the same room, and you would have to float out after after they (laughs) have built you up so so significantly. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most interesting things for me about Elder Uchtdorf is that it was President Hinckley that called him to be a general authority Mm. originally, and not President Monson. Not Monson, okay. And the reason I say that is because here you have, you know, if you were to ask President Monson... um, well, I can't say that because he's gone. We can't ask him anymore. But <laughs> right. uh, what area of the world was the? What did you have the most uh, effect on? Right. And I think he would say, without a doubt, East Germany. Right. And in fact, he I, I was able to interview President Monson also, and he said that he had that area of the world um, from 1963 until uh, 2000 when I interviewed him. And he was assigned that area of the world. And so it's interesting to me in that backdrop, who's always there? Who's a stake president? Who's a... Right. um, It's it's Dieter Uchtdorf. Right. So it's almost... And then President Hinckley calls him, but it's almost like um, the Lord set it up so that President Monson could have him as a counselor. Right. And I'm going to say some things, and I hope it, it is taken in the right way. But um, when President Monson was called and had his press conference, and I had known President Monson my whole life, watched him in general conference, he was a different man. Oh, wow. He, in that press conference, I felt like he was a deer in the headlights. And he just, you know, the press was asking him questions until someone said, President Monson... Tell us about your counselors. 
Right. And he goes, well, this is Dieter Udorf. And he, he knows every airport in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And all of a sudden this light came on. And for me, and I'm really making supposition here. Yeah. But, you know, different prophets have different areas they're going to work on. I think for President Monson, he went, you know what? I'm not going to deal with you guys. Yeah. I got Dieter. Yeah. He knows how to deal with you He'll guys. He'll deal with you. Yeah. And that's what he's going to do in my presidency. And he did become kind of the spokesman with the press yeah. for President Monson's. He really and, did. And he just, his gifts, his talents, especially in that first presidency, were, were so needed. Right. And so complimentary to President Monson. Right. And uh, I love to look at that. And then we have President Nelson come in and... and uh, a different first presence he's needed. And so he comes back into the quorum. And, and now he, what he's doing, you know, for instance, with the Strength of Youth pamphlet and and the other things he's done, um, it's just amazing to watch the Lord <clears throat> place people in in uh, the right place. It's really interesting, Mary Jane. And, and from what you're saying, it reminded me of something, and you know more about this than I do, but... I understand it that when President McKay became the president of the church, that he calls you know J. Reuben Clark back into the first presidency, who had been with him with George Albert Smith. I don't remember who the other counselor was. We'll, we'll come to that later. It was Stephen. Stephen, Stephen L. L. Richards? Richards. Okay, there you go. And and President McKay puts President Clark in as the second counselor. He had yeah. been the first. Yes. And yes. he puts him in as a second counselor, yeah. and this is the context for. You know, J. Reuben Clark, you know, saying that it doesn't matter where you serve, but how. No. But it, it seemed like it was kind of a big deal. Like, I, obviously, I wasn't there at the time, but it seemed like the way that was addressed was it was kind of this big deal. The way that President Udorf seemed to handle being released yeah. from the first presidency, almost this seamless, uh, you know, transition where nothing really needed to be said. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then he gives the talk called The Greatest Among You, you know, where he talks about some of those principles. And he never really mentions what we're talking about, but you kind of knew that that was kind of underneath all that. But I think the way he just handled that was so oh, yeah. magnificent. Well, people look, some people would look at it as a demotion. Right, yeah. But, you know, that's not the Lord's kingdom. <laughs> that's not how it works. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And I think uh, President Uchtdorf, he has such a presence about him, and he, oh, you yeah. know, he reminds me of President McKay. He can charm the socks off anybody. <laughs> that presence that yeah. is him has been such an amazing yeah. blessing. He just radiates right. goodness and light. Yeah, and I love the idea that he radiates because you, we've been in the presence of people like that. When there are certain people, and they walk into a room, you know it before they even walk yeah, in, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think he's one of those. Yeah. You know, here's a great story that Elder Holland told Mary Jane regarding this kind of idea that we're talking about. But at one time, the German government was actually considering removing our church from Germany, deeming us as a cult. And to oppose this serious threat to the work, church leaders needed the most resolute and re- uh, reputable German representative they could find to go to Bonn. And that was Dieter Uddorf. His bold, courageous presentation there was so persuasive and articulate, and his reputation with Lufthansa was so widespread and admired that the German officials giving him audience were somewhat stunned 
at what they had inadvertently done. In fact, they said, if you're a Latter-day Saint, we do not need any more evidence than that. Your church will certainly not be included on such a list. Basically, just you just keep doing what you guys do. But it was the church sent a stake president, President Utdorf, in to, to deal with the government that way. And I, I think that was... Uh, a cool, a cool little story about his presence, right? So yeah, amazing. And I think that presence comes across the TV. Oh yeah. Anytime you're listening to him, right. um, he is mesmerizing. Right. Right. He just, you know, you talk about a great storyteller. Right. Um, <laughs> that that just isn't when you meet him. Right. In person, that is when you listen to him or mm-hmm. watch him speak. We had my mom in our home years ago. Well, not too many years, you know, a few years ago. But it, she came here during General Conference weekend. She's not a member of the church. And uh, during General Conference, what she did watch with us, I'm, I'm not sure how much she was paying attention. But when President Udorf came on, that was her first, wait, wait, who's the, Wait, who's this? And she was riveted on, on him and his message. So I agree. He's a great influence. Mary Jane, this has been fascinating. It's so good to talk to you about uh, some of these great stories. I love the insight. And just for you to have a one-on-one interview with President Udorf is so unusual for anyone to be able to do that. So thank yeah. you for sharing some of those uh, those ideas and thoughts. Now let's talk about some of his teachings. And we'll just kind of go back and forth a little bit. But tell us, tell us about one of the teachings that you'd like to share. Well, for me, um, I kind of like to look at what a apostles byline is yeah and what are the what are the phrases that have kind of stuck Mm. and for me um there are two phrases uh that when i think of uh elder dorf they come to mind and one is come and see and he has repeated that over and over again yeah but the other one uh that uh, i think has had more meaning uh for individual members of the church, and especially for those of us that might be counseling uh, people that struggle, is doubt your doubts yeah. before you doubt your faith. That was such so profound. And that it? has stuck with me and stuck with, I, I think, so many members of the church. Uh, both of those uh, come from a talk called uh, Come Join With Us. Mm-hmm. And I remember, uh, I remember him starting out and said, um, um, "I'm going to talk about our church, and uh, why would anyone join a church where they spend, you know, at the time three hours every Sunday, where they go to the temple, where they um, get callings, where they pay ten percent, yeah, pay the rent, yeah." yeah. Um, why why in the world would anyone join such a church? <laughs> right. And um and then he talked about that and he talked about the reasons uh because it's the savior's church and uh, it's an active faith and the great blessings that come from living the commandments. Right. And uh, and then he said, well, <coughs> then somebody might ask if it's so wonderful, why are people leaving? Yeah. And uh, then he he approached that and he talked about unanswered questions and um i i really loved one thing that he said and he said to be perfectly frank there have been times when members or leaders in the church have simply made mistakes i think that was the f- first time i'm aware of that that was ever I even th- said right first time that i've heard that right said. 
which I thought was, and he said, you know, I suppose the church would be perfect only if it were run by perfect beings. Hmm. God's perfect. The doctrine is pure, but imperfect people make mistakes. Yeah. And I thought that was just, you know, and so, um, he, he then talked to those who've left the church, and he said, you know, there is a place for you. Come and see, you know. Um, and they might say, what about my doubts? And then we got that, well, my dear friends, which is what he always calls us. Yeah. First, doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. Um, mm. That will never yeah. get old, that yeah, expression, I just, will it? <laughs> um, I just love that. And he said... You know, <laughs> and he said, some might say, I just don't fit in with you people. You know, I couldn't live up to your standards, but he says, come join with us. It's always, you know, especially with Eldredorf, it's not a hellfire and damnation. Mm. It's such an entreating um, invitation. Invitation. Yeah. Always come. And then the, the last thing that he ends with, which I just love is that scene with uh, Christ and Peter. And, and of course, Christ turns to Peter and says, will you also go away? Mm. And you remember Peter says, you know, where would I go? <laughs> yeah. And President Ugedor says, where, where will you go? Come. Right. Come, this, is, this is it. Come yeah. join with us. Yeah. I, I said this of Elder Holland, and I'll say it of President Udorf, but almost every talk is like an instant classic. Yeah, you know? I, it's so hard to choose choose right. ones you want to talk about. Yeah, I love that, Mary Jane. You know, Mary Jane, one of my favorite talks, it just never gets old. He gave it a while back, but of regrets and resolutions. This is where he, he's uh, quoting that nurse who would take care of, yeah. really a hospice nurse, right? I mean, that's yeah. what it sounds like. Caring for the terminally ill. Right. Yeah. And asking the question, do you have any regrets? And then he, he came up with, I think, three main areas that people seem to have regrets in as they look back on their life. And one, and by the way, this is just a, such a great reminder for all of us, especially those who are probably over busy, is to get grounded here and let's make sure our life is just not out of control. But the first regret, regret was the idea that the people said that they wish they had spent more time with the people that they love. And this is where President Uddorf talks about sometimes we become so busy in life that we lose our connections with people. And then he says this, Isn't it true that we often get so busy? And sad to say, we even wear our busyness as a badge of honor, as though being busy by itself was an accomplishment or a sign of a superior life. Is it? He asked. And then he said, this and I think this is a great insight. This is what apostles do. They teach us about the Savior in ways we may have never thought. But he said, I think of our Lord and exemplar, Jesus Christ, and his short life among the people of Galilee and Jerusalem. I've tried to imagine him bustling between meetings or multitasking to get a list of urgent things accomplished. I can't see it, he said. Then he said this Instead, I see the compassionate and caring Son of God purposely living each day and when he interacted with those around him they felt important and loved he knew the infinite value of the people he met he blessed them ministered to them he lifted them up and healed them and gave them the precious gift of his time and i just think wow i just i probably need to read that every day yeah i love that <laughs> I, I love too where he said 
uh, in our day, it's so easy to pretend to spend time with others. Mm. He said, you know, with a click of mouse, we can connect with thousands of friends without ever facing one. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's pretending. Yeah. Pretending to spend time with people. Right. Yeah. And just a, yeah, it's a great reminder on how Christ ministered and loved. So that was number one. I wish I would have spent more time with the people I loved. Number two, I wish I would have lived up to my potential. And I think that's a great a great thought for all of us to consider is, you know, what our, our potential is and how are we doing when it comes to living up to our potential. And then number three, one that really resonates with me, he says, I wish I would let myself be happier. My point in saying that is I think a lot of us get into the trap of, oh, I'm, I am happy, but I'll be a lot happier when, when this is over, when we finish this, uh, when the semester ends for us who are, you know, in academics or, and I love that, uh, all of us could be happy right now, right? And he tells the story of riding bikes with Harriet and how much he loves that and uh, how much they love to be outdoors biking together. And uh, that uh, occasionally he said, I think uh, we should be a bit more competitive. I even think uh, we could get a better time or ride at a higher speed if we pushed ourselves a little more. And then I even make the mistake of mentioning this to my wife. Her typical reaction to my suggestion of this nature is always very kind and clear and direct. She just smiles and said, Dieter, it's not a race. It's a journey. Enjoy the moment. And he says how right she is. And he talks about just enjoying the moments, just enjoying life together. And uh, once again, to me, just such a great message. He closes this way. He says to avoid some of the deepest regrets of life, it would be wise to make some resolutions today. So number one, Resolve to spend more time with those we love. Number two, strive more earnestly to become the person God wants us to be. And number three, resolve to find happiness regardless of the circumstances. Yeah, I, I love how he makes happiness a choice. Yeah. He doesn't say, <laughs> I wish I had been happier. He says, I wish I had let myself be happier. Right. Which I thought was such a unique way of, oh, yeah. of putting that. So true. My favorite, one of my favorite talks that I had to share yes. is Three Sisters. Right. Because <laughs> it's about three sisters in a family, and I come from a family of three sisters. Yeah. So as he started to tell that metaphor um, about the sad, mad, and and uh, glad sister, <laughs> I, I thought about which one am I. And of course, I always think I'm the glad one, but then as he started to talk, I realized... Uh -oh. There are times when I am not. <laughs> um, but I, I love that metaphor as he talks about uh, the, the sad sister um, who um, was so cheerless and so thought life was so bleak. She was such a victim. And yeah. then the mad sister who... And, you know, it's interesting. Um, President Elder Uchtdorf has started to do something, and I think it's from President Nelson. Yeah. He's amazing at uh, alliteration. And, okay. And he... I need to start you, looking for that one. If you yeah. watch... Okay, here's what he said about the mad sister. She considered herself funny, fair, fashionable, and fascinating. <laughs> I mean, I've tried to write like that. Right. It it never it never took. It didn't get but off the ground. He, if yeah. you look through his writing, he's not as good at it as President Nelson, but he's... Um, he he does it right, um, and then of course the glad the glad sister, who um, didn't let I love this didn't let other people and their opinions stop her. Mm. Um, 
And so then he, he talks about the, those three scenarios. And uh, underneath the, the sad sister, the one that thought she was a victim, um, there are inklings of what President Nelson has been teaching us about our identity. Yeah. And he says, you know, if you find yourself worrying about what other people say about you, remember who you are. Mm-hmm. And I thought, boy, that's what President back, Nelson... Back to is. this identity concept, yeah, right, it's, that we it's, keep hearing. it's right back. And then as he talks about the mad sister calling her the hater, he <laughs> says uh, all her problems in her life were caused by someone else. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then he says this, she didn't think of herself as a mean person. To the contrary, she was just sticking up for herself. You know, everyone else was motivated by selfishness, pettiness, and hate. She was mm. just, you know, had good intentions. Right. Uh, the way he writes is just, <laughs> the problem is you can see yourself in what he's saying. And right. you go, oh, okay. This is too real, right? Yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, m- you must always stand for the right, but um, when you lash out at others to hurt, shame, or silence them, silence them, chances are you're not doing it in righteousness. Mm. And I, especially as we um, come upon the campaign season, Yeah. you know. Yeah. Learning how to disagree without being disagreeable. And, yeah. Um, I, I just, you know, he, one of the things he does for me more than any other is, uh, I shouldn't say more than any other, but <laughs> he causes me to self-reflect. Yeah. Oh, and sure. the things he says, uh, they just, they just hit home. Here's another um alliteration for you just for fun this will make elder maxwell happy right oh for sure (laughs) uh talking about the glad sister the promises of praise and acceptance by the world are unreliable untrue and unsatisfying Mm. he he just that that alliteration i think helps us remember things in a really powerful way yeah and then, of course, in ending, he says, you cannot allow circumstances to make you sad. You cannot allow them to make you mad. But what you, can you do? You can rejoice that you are a son or daughter of God. Yeah. Just. Folk gets us focused on. That right incredible metaphor that, you know, is about my family. And I, I won't tell you at the moment what sister I am, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, maybe what sister we are uh, depends on the day, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully I'm. I'm the other glad sister more than I'm the other two. I'm trying to remember Mary Jane, but it feels like that that talk was given at a, you yeah. know, the women's session, of yes. the women's yes. session of General Conference. Yes. And once again, mm-hmm. just how he makes things so relevant for the people yeah. that he's speaking yeah. to, and what yeah. better for some 14 year old girl sitting in the audience to hear a story about three sisters? You yeah, know, or, yeah, that we absolutely. all can relate to. Yeah, he gave that at, in 2017 at the. Um, women's uh session of yeah conference, conference. oh yeah. that's so good the, the the other the next one that i would just share and once again it's so hard i mean i his talk the infinite power of hope his talk on patience i mean there's so many messages that he shared that i'm like oh we could talk about that for an hour but what i've thought of recently is lord is it i you know this is a talk he gave a few years ago i think it was in a priesthood session um and he's really doing a great thing. I see apostles do this all the time. They open the scriptures and they teach from the New Testament about Christ and his life. And then they make a great, great lesson. In this case, uh, President Udorf is telling the story of the Last Supper, you know, and of Christ around the table with his apostles, saying that one of you shall betray me. And the, the, the thing that all of them ask is, Lord, is it I? 
And then President Udorf said this, I wonder what each of us would do if we were asked the question by the Savior, where we look around uh, those around us, look at those around us and say in our hearts, he's probably talking about Brother Johnson. I've always wondered about him. <laughs> or I'm glad Brother Brown is here. He needs to hear this message. Or will we, like those disciples of old, look inward and ask that penetrating question, Lord, is it I? And I, uh, Mary Jane, I think of this talk in two different contexts. One, I think of it in kind of a family setting where in marriage or in family, uh, it's easy to point a finger uh, at others, our spouse, our children, and, and, and blame them for whatever. It reminds me of the time that my dad was mad at all of us for losing one of his tools and uh, <laughs> was just get, reaming us out in the garage. And when he turned around to look for the screwdriver, he was it was in his back pocket, you know. And, and <laughs> oh, that is hilarious. When we pointed that out to him, uh, he didn't he didn't think it was super funny, but we did. But I, now I think of it in a different way, too. I think in terms of leaders of the church and so many who serve, you know, in, in such a significant way, right? They're putting hours and hours into their callings. They're doing all that they can. They're trying to, to help. They're prayerful about what they're doing. Um, and yet they're criticized. You know, they're criticized by people who have no tr- trouble just kind of teeing off on these people. And it kind of reminds me of uh, this parable that President Udorf tells of the man walking uh, past the neighbor's perfectly manicured lawn. So funny. But notices the one dandelion sticking up. Yet then when he gets to his own house, completely ignores the thousands of dandelions in his own yard. And of course, that's a great transition to the story of the moats and the beams But I, in the New Testament. But I once again think of, I wish I could say, you know, in a way to everyone that before you criticize a leader, to just think of, A, how much time they're putting in and, and what they're actually doing. And, and then, B, think of, okay, but what could... What is it that I'm doing? You know, yeah. what is it that I'm doing wrong? Or what could I do better to maybe even help that leader, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I don't know. I don't know if there's any other thoughts you have. I mean, that was the main idea, but yeah. that was really what's what uh, I just have to keep coming back to that. I, I was intrigued about the study that he had in uh, the talk from Cornell mm. where. Um, Remind us of that. Uh, he was this professor was trying to. Um, determine uh if people were really unaware of their own incompetence yeah and uh they he said as a series of tests of various life skills and then asked the students to rate how they did he said the students who performed poorly were the least accurate at evaluating their performance yeah some of them estimating their scores to be five times higher than they actually were (laughs) and then he says you know many of us have a difficult time seeing ourselves as we truly are Right. And even successful people overestimate their own contribution and underestimate the contributions that others make. Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. And that's just human nature. And I think um, Elder Uchtdorf saying, you know, that is human nature, but you're now a disciple of Christ. Yeah. So there's a higher standard. Right. And you said something a minute ago that I thought was so profound that President Uchtdorf's messages cause you to reflect how did you say it they cause you to kind of introspect yeah yeah. self-reflect and i think that's so true with this talk you know that he's asking all of us to really reflect on lord is it i let me just share this uh this statement from him in this talk um he said if our weaknesses and shortcomings remain obscured in the shadows then the redeeming power of the savior cannot heal them 
and make them strengths. Ironically, our blindness toward our human weaknesses will also make us blind to the divine potential that our Father in Heaven yearns to nurture within each of us. I just thought, wow, talk about profound. Um, President Udor does an incredible job tying our own Lord is it I question into actually our divine potential, wanting to raise us up that way. Yeah. The other one that I want to share with you, and I think people go, yeah, she's definitely a woman. Um, (laughs) It's the forget-me-not talk. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, we live in a, a society where the macho man is, you know, what we aim for. And mm. here we have this incredibly handsome, incredible man Yeah, <laughs> who stands up and he's talking about forget-me-not flowers. <laughs> and then he says this. This just, I mm. mean, if this didn't suck every sister in the church in, <laughs> he said, you know, since I was a child, I have had a tender connection to the flower that is called forget-me-not. Mm. Yeah, who says that, right? I mean, and can't you see women, you know, chiding chiding their husbands saying, why don't you talk like that? Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, Of course, this German legend about the forget-me-not, that it was the flower that God named, uh, uh, and using the flower as a metaphor. I tell my students as I'm teaching them, I said, I want you to notice this is when we used to have priesthood meetings or general conference. Right. Women's sessions. I'd say, do the brethren talk differently to the men than they do to the women? And yes. if so, what is it? <laughs> and uh, they do. Right. And uh, he knows how to speak to women. Mm. And uh, What a gift. Yeah. It's just, um, he says first, forget not to be patient with yourself. He said, you spend, you know, Talking to women, this is just so true. You spend so much energy comparing yourself to others, usually comparing your weakness to their strengths. Right. That that just, well, doesn't that say it? That That's exactly it what we do, isn't it? He says you're endlessly compassionate and patient with the weaknesses of others, but how about being compassionate and patient with yourself? Yeah. Wow. Um, for LDS women, boy, <laughs> he's, he's right to the heart of it. We all need to hear um, that, yeah. And then I love this. Because, you know, I, I am not the, let's spend time on that centerpiece. Uh, <laughs> second, forget not the difference between a good sacrifice and a foolish sacrifice. You know, and then he gave some examples. For instance, um, dedicating some of your time to studying the scriptures to prepare to teach lessons, good sacrifice. Spending many hours stitching the title of the lesson into homemade potholders for each member of the Relief Society. Perhaps may not be. And so uh, we just got this incredible counsel from him, you know. Spend mm. your time and your energy on the things that matter most. Yeah. And oh, I, I think uh, as sisters, we're a little bit more prone to, to that. Yeah. And then uh, this is a theme I think we've seen just in the talks that we're talking about today. Third, forget not to be happy now. Mm. And I think that's one of his themes uh, constantly is that we choose happiness. Right. And your circumstances do not need to dictate They don't have to dictate your happiness. Um, I think that's great. Yeah. And then the fourth one was forget not the why of the gospel. Mm. Why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah. Um, not just what you're doing. And then the last one, again, um, 
don't forget that the Lord loves you. Yeah. And you're never forgotten to him. Yeah. Um, what a comforting, hopeful message <laughs> I love about it. a dumb little flower. That Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, isn't it amazing that he could uh, take a whole sermon from that little flower analogy yeah. and and make it be, be well it becomes so profound that it penetrates our hearts and know? that's I, I don't know if you do this with your classes but i i i like to not only look at um what the apostles and prophets teach but i like to look at their methodology how they teach it and yeah. uh, he is incredible with metaphors yes he, he very much teaches metaphorically yeah and then those metaphors stay with you Right. You know, you remember. I don't even know what a forget me not flower is, but (laughs) I can tell you what it means. Oh, yeah. 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 And and his stories are also very memorable. You know, yeah, it's not unusual. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But let me let me finish with my uh, final thought here on just because it's Thanksgiving season. So it's always kind of fun to to pull this out, but grateful in any circumstance. Yeah, perfect, we'll, perfect talk. Right? Yeah. <laughs> to to just kind of in November with, with grateful in any circumstance. But I, you know, once again, I, I think one of the things apostles do is they, they inspire us, but they raise our level of spirituality, you know, and here are so many of us. I think there's kind of three degrees here. We have people that just aren't grateful. They just really don't, they don't even express it. They don't think about it that much. But then we move into another level of, Okay, let's count our blessings. Let's, you know, we do that in our family. We have a big, my wife every year makes a big butcher piece of paper that's almost life-size. And and through the month of November, anyone who comes to our house writes on, you know, something they're grateful for. And I think that's wonderful. And I would never want to say get rid of that. But I think this third and higher level of gratitude is this idea that, we can be grateful regardless of what our circumstances are. And I think, Mary Jane, as we've talked today, you've made it very clear that this seems to be one of President Udorf's themes, even though he may not say he has one, but the theme of that we get to choose how we're going to behave. You know, we get to choose our own happiness. We get to choose, in this case, uh, how grateful we are, no matter, no matter what the circumstance, you know. So let me read this really quick. He says, Perhaps focusing on what we are grateful for is the wrong approach. It's it's difficult to develop a spirit of gratitude if our thankfulness is only proportional to the number of blessings we can count. True, it's important to frequently count our blessings. And anyone who's tried this knows that there are many, but I don't believe the Lord expects us to be less thankful in times of trial than in times of abundance and ease. In fact, most of the scripture references do not speak of gratitude for things but rather suggests an overall spirit of gratitude or attitude of gratitude. It's easy to be grateful for things when life is going our way. But what about when things seem so far out of reach? And he just talks then about, he transitions into the idea of just having this this spirit and this attitude of gratitude at all times. You know, and I've, I've learned, and maybe you have too, that even when bad things happen in our lives, there's always something in that that we could be grateful for. Well, as, as he said, it's a, a disposition, um, independent of your situation. Yeah, and, it's a mindset. And we don't, you know, I, I think a lot of families at Thanksgiving, you know, before they eat dinner, they go around the table and say, what are you grateful for? And we list the things, don't we? Yeah, we have. But, you know, how different um, if it's just your disposition, if it's just who you are. Yeah. Part of you. Part of you. 
part of your identity, yeah. right? To do yeah. that. Yeah. You know, Mary Jane, speaking of your uh, alliteration and, and the poetic, you know, ability of President Udorf or Elder Udorf, I love this in this talk where he says, it might sound contrary to the wisdom of the world to suggest that one who is burdened with a sorrow should give thanks to God, but those who set aside the bottle of bitterness and lift instead the goblet of gratitude can find a purifying drink of healing, peace, and understanding. But there's your alliteration. Who talks that way? <laughs> right. But you'll never... I mean, that's a tweet right there. That's yeah, a, yeah. That's a yeah. Pinterest uh, Pinterest post. So, yeah. Mary Jane, you know, as we finish today, I think it'd be really cool is if we maybe can both share... You know, how President Utdorf has affect our lives personally, you know. And obviously I'm not like you. I haven't ever met him in per well, I have met him in person, but it was a it was a handshake with five hundred other people around. It wasn't uh, like you had the opportunity to sit down and really talk, but but his messages have affected my life in a very profound way. And there was a time in my life where I was the bishop of our ward in Texas and I was really bogged down. There were some adults in the ward that had some significant problems and I wasn't doing what I should have done, which was to turn that over to the Lord. I was trying to figure it all out myself <laughs> and uh, thought I could figure it out. And I just found myself really just bottoming out. I mean, I talk about being burned out and uh, and uh, not sleeping well and just probably anxious, to be honest with you, looking back on it. And, uh, and then President Utdorf spoke in conference. And it was the talk, we are doing a great work and cannot come down. And I remember listening to that talk as I was walking through our neighborhood uh, back in those days and realizing that as he was speaking, I was, getting, I was receiving a revelation for me. And this was the opening story where he talked about the plane in the Florida Everglades of where the landing gear light didn't come on. And so the pilots were doing everything. They were scurrying and scrambling, trying to figure out what was wrong with the landing gear. And by the time they they became so distracted, I think was the point, that the plane crashes and all aboard are killed. And then they find out later that the only thing wrong was the light bulb was burned out and it cost 20 <laughs> cents. But um, anyway, he says that, uh, then he said this, the tendency to focus on the insignificant at the expense of the profound happens not only to pilots, but to everyone. And I know that that was exactly what was going on in my life. And I needed to get back to focusing on the youth and the things that I had some kind of <laughs> influence and control over and quit trying to solve the problems of people that really didn't want them solved in the first place. Uh, and it was a great, it was just a great revelation to me to be focused on the right things. And it really was a great peace and comfort came to me as I listened to that and knew that the Lord was speaking directly to me through an apostle. Yeah. Amazing. I think for me, um, what is even more important than getting to meet him yeah, is uh, that for me, he has been uh, at times in my life when I have needed encouragement, when I've needed hope, mm. when I've needed optimism. Yeah. He has supplied that through his addresses. Yeah. And um, I just uh, remember... Um, as we go through deaths of loved ones, as I, I've gone through relationships that have ended not how I wanted. Right. Um, for me, one of the most amazing things uh, that he says is he says, you know, something inside of us resists endings. Mm. And um, he said, why? Because 
endings are not our destiny. And mm. uh, I love uh, to remember that in his plan there are no true endings. Mm. Only everlasting beginnings. Yeah. And that kind of uh, that kind of um, solace and um, comfort that he's given me from the pulpit when I have needed it is what I am so grateful for Elder Uchtdorf for. It sounds like that has sustained you always, over and over always. again, yeah. right? Absolutely. It's so funny, Mary Jane, as you shared that, not only did I feel what you were saying, but uh, on my screen popped up <laughs> an alert from President Uddorf <laughs> giving a message or something on Facebook or something. But, oh, Mary Jane, thank you so much for sharing that. That's, uh, that, that's so profound. And thank you so much for uh, being here today and sharing your wisdom and your experiences and uh, really your testimony of this prophet, seer, and revelator. It's been so good to have you with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Well, everyone, we hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, have a great Thanksgiving season.